Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Today we're going to be talking with Tony Arcuria. He is a marriage and family therapist and certified substance abuse counselor. We're going to be talking about what is the journey to become a certified substance abuse counselor and do we have enough folks of these type of expertise here in the state? And what can we all do to help support those who are struggling, trying to help themselves get out of an addiction or get out of a situation that is not necessarily the best for them? So thank you for joining me today in the studio. Well, aloha. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm excited because you had a fairly circuitous journey to getting into the idea of being a substance abuse counselor. What was that? Okay, yeah, this is true. Um, <clears throat> I knew I wanted to do something in the field of psychology and um, uh, went through my schooling as a master's uh, program for uh, marriage and family therapy. Ended up doing an internship in a residential treatment center. And at some point during that, and, and I did a long internship, so it was about four and a half years, but um, I came across some people in a sober living home, and that's really what changed things for me and got me uh, into this field more permanently. These folks were um, coming from residential treatment centers and uh, proud about going there, but these sober living homes, which I'm a big fan of uh, and didn't know too much about at the time, um, but I guess some of them were not actually sober living homes. There were places that were basically taking advantage of people. They were um, uh, kidnapping people, uh, looking for people that they could put on disability and just farm for their money, uh, or that they could, um, if they already were on disability, if they could kidnap them and hold them prisoner for money. So... <laughs> Uh, needless okay, to say, this, is quite a circuitous this was quite okay. a shock to me, and um, I was pretty upset about it. So the, the first time I found out about this, I went to the manager. Uh, manager came to the door drunk and uh, proceeded to try to get aggressive with me. So um, I tried to go above the manager to whoever owned this operation and uh, kind of got a, a response that was, you know, um, uh, you know, hey, uh, that manager is my friend. We kind of know what's going on and, you know, scram. So I reported this as, you know, you think one might do and as a as a provider is required to do. And um, they said it's hard to prove. It's, it's hard for them to really do anything about. So to sort of uh, my, my journey began learning about sober living homes and every aspect about addiction recovery so I can figure out what could be done different in the system to kind of prevent this from happening, basically. Wow. So so what you had anticipated, so there you were doing this four-and-a-half-year internship, and you're learning a little bit about how to manage doing doing therapy. And so you're, you happen to be assigned to a sober living home. And so it sounds like what might normally happen, someone would go into residential treatment and after they have gotten to a point where they're ready to leave this residence, then they want to go into some place that is supposed to help support them on their journey. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Um, I just happened to uh, be visiting somebody next door to this sober living environment. So 
wasn't actually assigned to be there. And um, I tried to give the person a burrito was what happened. And they told me, uh, don't give me that burrito. They kind of leaned over and whispered in my ear. They said, they will beat me up. I'm not allowed to have anything. You know, I'm I'm basically a prisoner trapped here. And um, not in those exact words, but that's pretty much what they told me. And um, that was pretty alarming. So um, I went and started investigating uh, all the sober living homes in the county that I was in and um, basically taking pictures, making making little um, brochure of which ones were actually sober livings. So some of them were, were actually. Yeah, they mo- were doing the right them, thing. Most of them, luckily. Yes. Okay. What sort of services should a sober living facility be providing? So it turns out that it's it's pretty similar. Like it's it's in the name was what I kind of found out. So uh, people that would be there would uh, be expected to be sober. There'd probably be support for uh, people that were making a positive change, such as sobriety. Um, there may be other changes, such as um, mental health recovery or um, medical recovery, other things like that. But um, uh, you know, usually there's some sort of a uh, rule, and, and people may have a lapse or relapse, but um, if somebody is um, drinking or using, that would be addressed somehow, and um, it, you know, wouldn't be necessarily overlooked, or uh, it wouldn't be a household where people would be using, drinking. Would they be kicked out? Would the anticipation be, if you're at a sober living house and you're not sober, that you can't really be there because you could affect the status of the other residents? Um. That so it might depend differently on what type of house it is. There's a few different types of sober living houses. So one of the most common ones is called the Oxford houses, and these are owned by uh, Alcoholics Anonymous uh, related um, association. So there's over two thousand of those in the country, and um, there's um, more than two thousand uh, that are owned independently by other individuals, usually in recovery. And so uh, each house kind of makes up its own rules. But one of the rules is usually, you know, um, we will not drink. Our goal is to um, uh, make some kind of healthy choices. And that's that's sort of what brings everybody together. So if, if um, those rules are violated, it's usually kind of stated as an agreement. You know, well, what would happen if I relapsed? And usually somebody would go to detox if needed. Um, maybe there's a house meeting to discuss, you know, what does this person need and how can we support them? Um, do they still have that goal? Is it still an appropriate um, kind of support, um, supportive environment for the person to be living in? So those are the things that would help to decide, do they get kicked out or not? Sometimes there'd be an exception decided by the house majority. That would be a common practice or, or um, sometimes it's by whoever owns the house. So in an optimal setting, you would have a little bit of self-governance in this sober living home. There would be a structure. There would be an anticipatory goal of doing something to promote health, to avoid the substance that potentially had gotten them to that point. And the, the house itself would create rules, and they would, they would apply those rules amongst the residents. How long might somebody in a, in a sober living home that's doing it correctly, how, might, how long might they live in a location like that? Well, I'd say something that would be typical would be um, maybe something like a a year. Um, there's there's really no set amount though. Somebody might live in one for twenty years, 
that person would probably uh, be the person running it, but it might be somebody that started out there as the newest person in there, and they decided, hey, this changed my life. I want to stay here to help others. Uh, maybe they eventually buy the house, uh, and then um, they they also own the house, but they're they're doing that so that they can help other people just like they felt like somebody supported them some years ago. Uh, others may just stay there for maybe a few months. Uh, and then obviously some people don't like it. So they may check it out and decide this is not for me. I'm going to move out quickly um, or relapse. But I think the goal is usually to stay there for at least a few months. And that would probably be appropriate in order to um, just kind of prolong the recovery because the residential treatment may not be too long these days with, uh, you know, what insurance will pay for the whole advent of like 28 day uh, treatment modalities and, and things like that. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Tony Arcuria about what are the benefits of a sober living facility and what went wrong, which he determined and identified at his first experience with sober living. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today I have Tony Arcuria here in the studio. He is a marriage and family therapist and certified substance abuse counselor, and he's sharing with us his story of how he got into wanting to be a certified substance abuse counselor. It started off with a fairly shocking entry into the world of sober living houses, identifying that sometimes things are not going the way they're supposed to, and that sort of spurred on your journey to learn more about how it should take place. So we've we've identified that a sober living house is is a place usually sponsored by someone, maybe the Oxford community with trip with uh, AA, mm-hmm. uh, but also there might be another potential sponsor for a house. This could be an individual, and they identify this community that they're going to create this supportive environment for people dealing with substance abuse. That's when it works correctly, and someone might live there for a few months, for a year, for twenty years with the idea that they may transition back into society, not on the substance for which they were originally admitted to rehab for. So that's when it works well. That's exactly right. Now, you identified that you found where it didn't work well, and there were some really untoward policies that were going on at the places that you were investigating. Does Is this, you mentioned it's it's not, you know, most facilities are doing it correctly, but but it's it's not so uncommon that you didn't come across this. When you look at the over 2,000 or so facilities out there today, if not more, how many do you think are pretty legit doing things the way they should? I think most of them are are good. Um, You know, luckily, most of them are good. But um, there are some, and and this this comes up in some different areas, and oftentimes some of these places will be on the news. Uh, Maybe somebody had good intentions or maybe somebody wanted to make money and and a person can maybe have both good intentions and want to make money. But um, also maybe just people on on either of those sides don't know how to 
um, basically have a environment that's therapeutic, um, with regardless of their intention. So I think that maybe is, uh, or at least especially then was one of the problems. There's some agencies that have kind of started up since. Um, but back uh, when this was going on, what we had found is that um, there were some agencies that were supporting the the kind of um, like advocating for sober living homes, which is needed because these are very uh, helpful services. But um, uh, there wasn't so much in the way of uh, what if one of these sober living homes is not doing what it's supposed to or what you think it would supposed to. Uh, you so know, like a lack of oversight. A lack of oversight, right. So as it turns out, and there's been legal battles all across the, the country, um, some of these going up to like $350 million per per uh, lawsuit where uh, a city tries to close one down and then um, it's determined that people are allowed to form their own kind of uh, household, right? And people could be blood relatives, could be people uh, joining together in recovery, so um, what right does a city have to close it down? So uh, as it turns out, legally, they're allowed to be there uh, so long as they're following the law. Now, what I came to find out is that it seemed that there are most of these sober living homes, they're doing a good job. It's helpful for people. So my thinking is that the best way to um, help people find these would be to just kind of get the word out there, you know, help, to help educate what is a sober living home versus some other kind of an environment that doesn't seem conducive to sobriety, much less to, to most people's wellness and, and, and happiness, right? Being a prisoner is not too um, pleasant of a situation. So, uh, but but not everybody really knows what to look for. That kind of information was hard for people to find. There's flyers out there. But uh, there wasn't really a a website per se, or uh, there were a few. But that w- that was the kind of thing that I came to learn. People need to know uh, what kind of services are out there. They need to know the difference between a sober living environment and a halfway house. Halfway house is something for people that are coming out of jail or prison, and uh, they're integrating back into the uh, environment. But um, they may also be in recovery or they may not. There's also homes, um, transitional living for, for all sorts of reasons. There's um, behavioral health or mental health uh, oriented transitional living group homes. Um, but these may or may not be um, sobriety based. So there's just so many different kinds of transitional living homes out there. And uh, a person that uh, needs a particular service, needs to know, how do I find the kind of environment that's for me? Since these are just households that are out there, somebody says, hey, come over, you know, you can live in my house. Uh, How do you know if they're safe? How do you know what it looks like inside the house? So what do you tell people who you're their substance abuse counselor? What are some of the distinguishing ways that they can identify if the community that they're looking for has a good reputation and is going to provide them the services that they need to rehabilitate or kind of has some issues that are suspect. So how would you identify? You said there are certain criteria that people could look out for. Well, what are those? Well, I think one of the easiest ways to determine here in Hawaii, there's a registry with the state. 
I know um, many sober home operators um, may not um, uh, be so excited about the fact that there's a registry you can you can get on the list you can you know apply for jump through some hoops uh, but if you think about the benefit that it's that it's doing it's preventing people from getting abused or from uh, going into a home and um, not really getting the support that that they really want and need. So, um, so the registry is for the homes. The registry is for the homes, and it's it's by the state. Um, it's something that I think is great is going on here in Hawaii. It's relatively new, uh, just maybe about a few years old. Uh, that's not something that has existed in many states, and, and um, states have kind of made their own decisions as to whether or not they're going to take a stance to actually uh, support or take an active role in ensuring that people have a safe place to go to. Um, or or not. And the difficulty is there's not a whole lot of money involved in these sober living homes. Um, despite what some people would think you can make money if you're an operator, but you have to be pretty business savvy and it helps to, to know something about recovery as well. Um, but, but as far as paying for application fees, jumping through hoops, you know, there's not a whole lot, um, of, uh, incentive to do that or not a whole lot of, um, you know, funds. So, so I think that sometimes could be a barrier to, um, an operator of a sober living home thinking, well, you know, beyond just providing the service, how do I get this out there? How do I get on the the registry? How do I, um, make a a good flyer, have a website, stuff like that, that can, that shows maybe some pictures of the inside of the house, that there's a house rule, um, something about sobriety and promoting well-briety or, um, uh, you know, mental health services, whatever the service is that it's clearly stated, that that would be um, a clear sign right there that there's actually some clear rules. If there's not a um, something like a website or a registry, what people will do is they'll distribute flyers to all sorts of places for different things. So, um, you know, a flyer goes over to um, one place for people recovering from a medical injury, another place for sobriety, another one for a, um, emotional behavioral health recovery. Not that a person can't do all those, but, um, and then when you get to the house, maybe it's only one of those things or none of them. So, um, it should really be clearly defined. And, and if it's on a website, on a registry, um, or some, some kind of, um, third party, um, approved or supported, a list, then that would probably be good. So, you know, if you're going to an Oxford house, there's a system, there's thousands of these homes. Um, there's somebody you can talk to if there's an issue. Um, it, and, and there's, although it's not like any household is perfect, there's always issues that come up as with any family, but um, you know that there's a system in place and a lot of experience there. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to try and make some headway in identifying if somebody out there has a loved one who is struggling and is about to leave rehab and needs to look for a sober living house or some type of facility. What are the resources they have and how can they go about finding it? We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us.
Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. And today we're talking about substance abuse and how to address that and what are some of the different residential available treatment centers that might help folks once they leave rehab so that they can help continue along their journey to sobriety. I'm talking with Dr. Well, I'm talking with Tony Arcuria. He is a marriage and family therapist, a certified substance abuse counselor. And right before the break, we were talking a little bit about how do you identify if a sober living facility or any facility has the services you need? So you mentioned Hawaii's unique. We have a registry, and that registry is available for someone who's looking for a location to be. So in that case, you know, I often think, boy, you have somebody who's just recently become sober from a substance. They're going to need some help figuring out what the next step is. So if somebody or one of their loved ones says, I'm going to help you through this process, a sober living house might be one of the steps for them. So they could check on the registry. That's one option. That's right. And they could also check to see if it's participating in a national type of a program. You mentioned Oxford House with AA as one example of a house that clearly meets a certain criteria from a from a third party that's saying we endorse what's going on here. That's right. So that would be where it would be optimal. You could look for those sorts of places. What are some of the red flag signs that you, you've alluded to earlier? Like this would be something I'd be worried about. Okay, uh, and I'd like to add one more thing to as far as the national registries um, or um, another source. So the Oxford houses would be more or less um, for the one style of houses um, if it's more of an AA based or 12 step based, but, um, there's an organization called national association of recovery residences. And that would be another website somebody can go to and find out if the sober living home that they're living in is a part of that organization. That's something that, um, uh, has thousands of sober living homes over, over 4,000. Um, uh, I'm sure much more than that, but, um, so, so um, another resource. You could go locally. You could take a look at Oxford House. You could take a look at the National yeah. Association of Recovery Residences. Yeah. So if you if you take a look at some of those different areas, you might find a place that would be ideal for the duration of living for a few months to a year to several years. Is is this something that is covered through insurance? Do you pay privately for this? Is this something where you know you would pay rent to this house just like you might pay rent to an apartment? How is it funded? It's often paid just out of pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there have been few studies that were done. In fact, um, uh, as part of a call where um, we were uh, talking East Coast to West Coast, and we were looking for um, studies on sober living, we found two at the time. And there was quite a lot of effort that was put into uh, looking for legitimate uh, studies, you know, the evidence base that we're showing that sober living homes have a positive or negative effect. You know, what what are the effects? Uh, qualitatively, we know that that they're effective. Um, uh, and I've I've also uh, ended up starting some sober living homes in the past myself as well, um, and um, uh, and and started a sober living home certification business in the past. I no longer uh, have that. It's been merged into another company that helps to do that kind of, um, uh, you know, service in California. But um, so at the time we were talking with other organizations that did the same thing and uh, identified that there's a need. And and now there's some more studies being done. But um, because of the lack of studies, 
insurance companies often are not paying. Now, Kaiser, in some areas, will pay. It's it's not a uh, a national thing. Uh, I haven't heard of them paying here in Hawaii yet, although it would be great if they or somebody else would do so. And it would save them a lot of money. Um, that's what we what we find is that uh, sober living home you, uh, is basically a very cost-effective way, especially somebody may do 30 days of residential treatment, and then they may do uh, three months of the sober living. That's going to be a lot more cost-effective than doing just two months of residential treatment and then just dropping off and um, not having that supportive living environment to live in. So... Um, so it sounds like it's, financially this is a, definitely a good model to try and help support because this could help people to really kick a substance abuse habit long term, which will help them to get a job and, and work on supporting themselves and supporting families, et cetera. So it certainly has a good idea and basis for which we want to promote it. Now, those are the types of ways you can find out if this particular sober living facility is going to be helpful for someone. Uh, the red flags, the things that you would just say, oh, if I heard this, I would be worried. Right. So what what kind of things are red flags? Well, first of all, if people are um, you know, drinking or using, if it's stated that it's a sober living environment. And uh, nobody's sober. And nobody's sober. That's a red flag. That's a red flag. Okay. Uh, probably what you're going to find in places that are not actually sober living environments, but they advertise as so, is that there's really no rules. Um, you know, it doesn't say um, uh, something like some positive message about sobriety or something like that um, uh, in any kind of um, disclosure before you enter. You, you didn't sign anything because there usually is a signed agreement, like a house rules. Um, and, and those rules actually have held up in court. There's one case I heard of that it was actually written on a napkin that, you know, we all agree to be sober here. The person relapsed and then was, um, you know, kicked out of the house and that went to uh, court and that uh, was upheld in court. So if, if there's no agreement signed, there's no positive message about sobriety. People are not talking about sobriety or recovery in any way, shape or form. That would, that would be a red flag for sure. Um, I would look for those things before moving in. I, I mean, I've heard of some situations that were um, pretty dangerous, like um, a person got an address that was um, just very far out and, you know, um, away from uh, any telephones or any transportation and dropped off in a dangerous area, right? Um, what's a dangerous area? Um, I, I mean, Basically, Anywhere in, you wouldn't feel safe. An area where you don't know where you are okay. <laughs> and it's difficult to answer, you know, to get to a phone or, or transportation. And so I'm referring to in this case is dangerous. But, um, uh, yeah, so you'd want to know the location, where it is. Um, and usually somebody will show you or tell you a little bit about the house and what it's like, what you know, who lives there what the environment's like. If you don't get any information and it's just like, here's an address, show up here, or we're just going to pick you up. That's, that's really, um, something that, you, you know, you may want to ask some questions about the place before you actually get in the car alone with somebody and drive, because unfortunately, uh, people have used this as a way to, uh, take advantage of people, um, you know, uh, put them on disability and, um, keep them prisoner for a paycheck. And that's the kind of thing that I, I, you know, basically dedicated a lot of time in my life to try to, um, 
you know, prevent or discourage. Wow. Well, certainly the story of why you went into this field seems to have inspired you to look really carefully at the different types of facilities and to help make sure that a facility that you would refer someone to does meet some of those criteria. They don't have those worrisome red flags because you really put time and effort to make sure that's the case. All right. I want to thank you for joining us today on The Body Show. That's Tony Arcuria, marriage and family therapist, certified substance abuse counselor. We were talking today about how to know if a sober living facility or or a house is the right place and what are the signs when it might not be. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show. We'll see you then. (laughs) 